This podcast is brought to you by the Department of English Studies at Durham University. To learn more about our research and to download other podcasts, visit our blog at www.readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com. Hello. Gareth Rees is part-time reader in English at Durham University. His research covers 20th century and contemporary British, Irish and American poetry, and he also teaches the MA module in Writing Poetry. John Clegg is a PhD student who's studying under Gareth. He's researching the Eastern European influence in contemporary English poetry. Both John and Gareth have recently published their own collections of poetry, Gareth his third collection and John his first collection. In this podcast, they're going to discuss the ways in which studying poetry and writing poetry work together. John, I wonder if I could start with you. You're researching Eastern European poetry, people like Charles Simic, for example when you're writing poetry, do you find it hard to step outside of the things you've been studying to find your own voice? To be honest, I'd say it's more the reverse process. It's writing on something, studying something, tends to put it out of bounds for anything I'm writing myself. It's more a question of having to reread this more carefully and think about what tricks I might be able to take from it. So you actively try and not follow that voice of the poet you're currently working on or studying? I'd say I don't even have to actively try. It's just something that that wouldn't appeal. It, it's something that would that, that wouldn't come up. What about you, Gareth? Because you've studied a wide range you know, of English, American, Irish poets. Do you find those filtering through into your poetry? I certainly find they do filter through. What what I'm studying or reading or researching will filter through. But it's only after several years later that I'll perhaps realise, oh, there's a lot of Lowell in there, or whatever it is, um, which might be a good thing, might not. When I'm teaching it, on the other hand, as opposed to researching, does have a more direct effect, that all the rules or whatever, or all the, the qualities you can um, describe in poetry, you think, yeah, that's a good way to write something, and then I go home, as it were, and try to imitate it, and think... It's always a process of breaking the rules that makes one develop as a poet. So I wonder what that's like from the student's point of view, John, because you studied under Gareth. Was reading poetry and studying poetry what got you into writing poetry? I'd say it was certainly more productive for my own poetry, actually studying stuff in the context of a, of a seminar than, uh, than doing research on it. But as part of a group talking about these poems and taking them apart in that way. I found the insights from that were so much more useful for writing than the insights you get from sitting at home doing it on your own time. I can't explain why that is, really. Mm. But how, how, how did you get started? I mean, was there a moment where you thought, right, I've been a reader of poetry, now I'm going to be a writer of poetry? Was there a, a moment of inspiration? Um, the moment of inspiration was I'd been going out with my girlfriend for about three weeks, and I'd told her that I was a poet and a painter, and I was neither, and I thought I needed to, to at least do one of these things to, uh, so I'd go, so I, she wouldn't think I was some, some terrible liar, and it struck me that poetry needed fewer materials to start off with. But certainly I, I, I was inspired at the same time by going to readings and stuff. I remember the first reading I, I went to in Durham, I saw uh, Gareth read the, uh, the pin poem that he'd done for us this morning. Remember that very clearly. Because <laughs> I've got a lot to answer for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you've got a kind of line of inheritance from teacher to pupil, if you like, although obviously, John, you've found your own voice since then. But, Gareth, you've got 
more literal kind of inheritance as a poet. Yeah, you? my dad being a poet. It was part of the family life. It's the sort of thing I assumed everybody did. You know, the fathers wrote criticism and poetry. And so from early on, I assumed that was sort of normal way of life. <laughs> and um, when I was very small, I tried writing a few poems. But one, I confess, began... It's terrible, I can't forget this. The train is a great creature of awe through the country. Its journey will roar, or something dreadful like that. And I was about six or something, and my father was duly encouraging when he read this, which was a bad move, and, and promised me sixpence for every poem I wrote, and that stopped me writing for a decade at least, I would say. But, yeah, it's... I think it's in the blood, as it were. Whether this is a good thing, I'm not sure. Mm. It's funny how vocational it seems to be, you know, for both of you, in some sense. You know, John, you started a relationship with a girlfriend and thought, I've got to define myself almost as a poet, and, and Gareth, obviously, f from a very young age. So I wondered, as you're going through daily life in academia, you know, sitting down at the word processor with the books, trying to study something, do you find that you slip also into that poetic mode as well. In other words, you, you may read something and then suddenly think, oh, I've got a poem bubbling up and I'll write that over lunchtime. I'd say the main sort of, road of mode of reading as a, as a poet is intense jealousy with, with everything and certainly I find that, that at the minute I'm writing on Kier and Carson and every third poem I, I have to put the book down and sit down crossly in the dark or have a bath or something for a while. It's just incredibly frustrating how good this stuff is and working as, as a critic you tend to be around so much of the, of the very best stuff and you don't get a sampling of the, the average at all and it's incredibly frustrating and, and jealous-making. Do you find the same thing? Probably more, I used to more than I do now and now I'm much more content to say that's great writing but it just, I couldn't do that and nor do I want to now. But what one has to remember all the time, I think, when one's being a critic is that it's, as it were, looking looking from the outside in, whereas I mean, as a writer, looking from the inside out, that being faced with a blank sheet of paper and writing something ex nihilo, as it were, is so different than from being faced with a poem and writing about it. You can always say something about it. And, and I think you have to remember when writing poetry that it, it's coming from within you and it will be different from anybody else if it's any good, if that makes any sense. So do you think that moment of being confronted with a blank piece of paper which puts you into the shoes of the writer gives you better access, almost, as a critic when you're analysing poets because you understand the processes that must have been gone through? I like to think it does. Teaching poetry, I encourage the seminar or tutorial group or whatever, at least sometimes to think of it from that point of view, rather than coming at it with whatever it can be, you know, social context or the biography of the poet. All these things are relevant, but you've got to be able to do the other thing as well. Um, I think one's got to be able to look at it from both sides, inside and out. I think you can also get a sense for the sort of weak moments, even in really good poems. You can see where um, where poets have been soldering over the joints and stuff. It's um, Well, I'd like to think it gives you as a critic more of a sense of the, the poem as artefact and just knowing how they're put together, mm. I think 
is valuable for uh, for unpicking them. So it seems you almost move to two different extremes simultaneously. On the one hand, you become jealous of the very good poems, and on the other hand, you recognise the cracks and the failures in the weaker poems, having had that experience as a, as a practitioner. I think just as much, though, you recognise the, the cracks in the in the really good poems. I don't suppose there's, there's any poems at all without cracks. And you... Yeah, and I... A wonderful example of this, of course, a famous 20th century example is Eliot's The Wasteland, which I have written about, and learning about how that poem came into being, you know, as a, a, almost a joint effort with Eliot and Pound, is very instructive, I think. The trouble is, nowadays, when one people study The Wasteland, the so-called Ur version of The Wasteland, it's this large sheaf of disorganised poetic drafts has almost become the, the, the accepted version of the poem. And I think that is, I mean, one can learn a lot from that process, but this is a danger, I think, where one can't just sense that there are gaps and, and so on. You can actually see all the material that was thrown out. Um, it tells one about the process, but not necessarily the finished product. Mm. I think that is a way though in which the actual meat and bones of PhD research is or has been useful for me for my own practice. Actually going back through the drafts of mm. stuff has taught me a lot about editing I think. And actually seeing how poems you like have changed and developed I feel that I edit slightly better because of this. Edit your own Yes work. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of turn it round slightly and you've obviously got very personal vocation for writing poetry and also for studying it. But what role do you think that poetry should play in public life? What, what's the role of poetry today? Yeah, as Auden famously said, poetry makes nothing happen. But this is a perennial question that the, the, the asking of it, and if you like, not being able to resolve it, is one of the central concerns of poetry. <laughs> Whether that makes it better or worse is is beside the point. It, it certainly concerned me in writing this sequence that's been obsessing me for a long time about Shostakovich. The role of the artist in society is brought home to one again and again in relation to his music. And um, I think it is, it's a fertile subject that has wider implications than just the writing of poetry. Yeah, not got anything really to add to that. I think that that expresses my own feelings on, on the whole thing very well. Gareth Reeves, thank you very much, to Hell with Paradise, New and Selected Poems, is published by Carcanet. And John Clegg, your first collection, Antler, is published by Salt Publishing. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. For more podcasts, or to give your feedback on the podcast you have just listened to, visit readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com forward slash podcasts.